This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. The people of the U.K. have spoken, and it is an unprecedented move. By a vote of 52% to 48%, they have decided to leave the European Union. The concerns over immigration and taking control of its own path surpass those of potential economic concerns. In the wake of this decision, current Prime Minister David Cameron has announced his resignation, which will take place, he says, most likely around October, and the global markets are retreating sharply today. To take a look at this vote, we are joined on the phone by Shahrazad Rahman, who is director of the European Union Research Center at George Washington University, as well as a professor of international finance and business there. And then also uh, joining us is Olivier Chatin, who is a senior fellow at the Mac Institute for Innovation Management here at the Wharton School, as well as an associate professor of strategy and business policy at HEC Paris. Olivier Shahrazad, great to have you both on the show. Thank you. Hi, Don. Great to have you both here with us. Uh, Olivier, I'll start with you being uh, being someone that uh, obviously has quite a link to Europe right now. What is the re- reaction that you're hearing over there and, and just your reaction in general? Well, I think the, the sheer reaction is actually one of surprise. I think everyone woke up this morning, including myself, and that's not the outcome that we were anticipating. Uh, so that's really a big, big surprise first. Uh, at the same time, it's really uh, a start of an unprecedented period of uh, uncertainty. No one really knows what's going to happen because it has never been done before. Even the the, the winners of the vote, uh, they don't quite know what to do. I think the first reaction by Boris Johnson is that, well, maybe we should postpone when we declare when we actually want to leave. Uh, which, which is quite telling in terms of the, the, the whole surprise that's, that's going on there. Shahrazad? Well, you know, this, this was a surprise. We thought that the British at the last moment would come, uh, would come through and, and sort of not leave the EU. And uh, the markets are reeling on this. Uh, I think uh, everyone was betting that it would it, it be very close, uh, but that they would stay in. And, and I think if Zika's absolutely right, right now no one really knows what the next step. The next step, uh, officially, is to revoke uh, Article 50, uh, which effectively begins the process of Britain leading the EU. Please note, this is going to be a long, long process. We've drawn out two years process, which is super draw. So, and I was just going to say, as you said, this is going to be a several-year agenda that that will happen. Uh, David Cameron made the statements, and, and we'll hear some of those in just a little bit, uh, about the fact that he doesn't feel like he can be the person to, to take uh, the U.K. forward in, in this process. I think the call is, is whatever the time period is, they would like to see this happen quicker than than a longer period of time, correct? Well, you know, this is, this is tricky. Uh, Cameron basically made a horrendous mistake. He asked for a referendum to appease uh, a piece of his party, the internal party politics on his side, or the conservatives, um, and, and he called for a referendum, never fully even comprehending that it would reach this stage and with this result. So I think that even internally in his own party, there's quite a bit of shock uh, as to what has happened here. 
What do you think ends up being, and, and again, this may take a while to play out. Uh, the markets are, are obviously sharply lower here in the United States. They've actually paired off, uh, you know, probably about 150 points from, from the outset of trading. But is there an effect on the U.S. economy in the long term? Shares on? Well, I mean, yeah, of course. You know, this is what we call a black swan event in Washington, D.C. Uh, I didn't see it coming. Uh, or, you know, and, 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 and there will be an impact. Uh, partly the, the volatility in the global market has definitely increased because it will take some time to bed down. The other issue for the United States is we really have lost our champion for free trade globalization. And our eyes and ears on the ground with regards to security and other concerns uh, at the table, at the EU table now, since uh, the UK will not be sitting at those closed-door meetings anymore. Uh, Olivier, one of the interesting pieces to this is the push that the EU has made uh, against Russia in, in recent months. And I heard some comments earlier today that, that uh, you know, members of the Russian government, including the mayor of Moscow, basically talking about how this, in some respects, opens the door for them because some of the the infractions that, that were being held against them may not have as much weight because of the fact that, that the U.K. was really the driving force behind them. Well, that's an interesting angle. Uh, I think it's clear that from the, I would say, the European viewpoint, Russia's attitude seems to be that they would rather have a more divided Europe than a more uh, integrated Europe. So in that respect, that's already a win for them. Uh, now, which which country is, is uh, taking the hardest line against Russia within the EU? I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, it's not only certainly the UK. It's also Germany and France. Yeah. And I think those are not going to be more wavering with respect to Russia because UK, the UK is no longer there. The, the other part to this is also the fact that not only did you have this vote, but there are other votes that are kind of in the works right now in other countries in the weeks to come. And, and I guess the, the question has to be asked, Olivier, is this the start of, of maybe a, a row of dominoes falling down where we could see three, four or five other entities within the EU decide that, yeah, we want to follow the path of, of the UK and not stay with the European Union? So this is definitely the, the nightmare scenario that I think most people in the, the rest of Europe would like not to happen. Now, if you look at how the situation, especially in the economy front, will evolve in the next couple of weeks, that may prove to be uh, an abject lesson in terms of, well, you, do you want your currency to fall by 10% in one day or not? Uh, and I think the, the question is whether what's going to happen now in light of the uncertainty is going to act as a deterrent. Uh, so on the one hand, it's clear that uh, there's a taboo that has been shattered. Uh, it's, it's, now it's thinkable to have uh, a country leaving the EU, uh, but maybe it turns out that all the nice promises that were made by the Leave Party was, were not going really to, to materialize. So lots of uncertainties, and I just would like to point out that from the viewpoint of the, especially Germany and France, mm. they have absolutely no interest in making life easy for the UK, precisely because they want to... If they can, they would like to make an example out of that. So I'm anticipating very difficult negotiations uh, moving forward in terms of how to leave uh, the union in that two-year period after the activation of Article 50. So you think you expect the EU to try and, and stretch this out as much as possible, correct? I'm not sure they would like to stretch it out, okay. but they are clearly not 
going to be to be to accept terms to to shorten it if they have to I think they would rather basically telling the the u k well okay you you will still have access to the common market, uh but you have to pay for that, and right. you'll have to pay more or less as much as you're paying now, except that now you have no decision making power. I think it's going to be the starting negotiation. Shahrazad, what's your uh, viewpoint on that? Is, is the does the EU have potentially a couple of cracks in the foundation right now? Well, you know, in, in, in the medium term, I think the speakers have to be right. You know, it will serve as a deterrent to be to other countries that might be contemplating it. But the bottom line is, in the short run, uh, there are going to be other referendums. Uh, they have to be. For example, Scotland. Uh, the second referendum is now on the table to leave the UK. It's very clear from the beginning that they want to stay in the EU. That was never their goal to leave. Same thing with parts of Ireland now, in terms of what do you now do? What do you do with these countries? You know, and ironically, I have to tell you, the fear in the market uh, is France. There is a huge anti-European sentiment in France currently, and uh, you know, this might, in the short run, fulfill. Uh, uh, you know, uh, a call for a referendum in France itself, which would be disastrous for the EU um, if it did go forward, uh, even the notion that there would be a referendum. And their elections are coming up. You mentioned the, uh, the the issues with Scotland, and that was really an interesting piece as the voting played out, Jarazad, is the fact that a lot of the uh, a lot of the people that wanted to leave the EU were more in in and around London. Scotland was almost, you know, I would say, what, 80, 90 percent staying within the EU, maybe even a little bit higher than that? Yes, this has been, you know, this has been true from the very beginning when they had their first referendum about whether they should stay with the United Kingdom or not. You know, they're very clear that, yes, to the EU and, and let's just do a heartbeat check on whether we want to stay in Great Britain. And, of course, the result of that was obviously they stayed within the U.K. But now this is a, this is a whole new ballgame for them. And I'm pretty sure uh, that a second referendum will have to be taken as we move forward into the process of negotiating trade and investment treaties uh, with the EU. Uh, uh, part of it, you know, uh, can be deterred if, if trade investment treaties were done in such a way that they can harm the Scottish economy, but I suspect it will. You mentioned uh, briefly that uh, David Cameron uh, kind of, you know, played a played a game of chicken and lost in, in this situation. He, he announces his resignation. What was your reaction to that move by, by Mr. Cameron? Quite honestly, you know, because the vote has been called to be very close to the last two or three months, uh, his government was already doomed, to be honest with you. Uh, even if he had won this, uh, his effectiveness would have been seriously garnished simply because the vote was so close. Olivier, what was your reaction to his to his resignation? Well, I think I'd just like to second what Chehraz had said, is that by, by this time, whatever the outcome, uh, David Cameron was damaged goods. And uh, it's, I think that was the only thing he could do. He, he was 
I mean, I'm not sure what history will tell about his, his decision making, but mm -hmm. he was a bit too smart by half by thinking that he could, two years ago, he could gamble on, okay, let's, let's promise a, a, a referendum and hoping that he did not have to take on the promise, uh, but he had to in the end. And as we, as we know, and especially if that was something that happened in, in France in the 90s, when you ask for a referendum, you never know quite what will happen. Mm -hmm. And given the turn of the campaign and how it became, to be honest, quite, quite na nasty and mendacious and a bit disconnected from reality, any outcome can, can, ha can happen. So anytime you ask for a referendum, it's a gamble. And the more gamble you take, you cannot win them all. Do you think we will see some uh, of the big companies that have their corporate headquarters in and around London decide that they want to move because of this vote? So I don't think they're going to move now because we still don't know exactly what's going to play out. But if we take a two-year horizon, you know, until the, the process for exit is finished, I, I can expect them to to stop investing and uh, doubling down in in London and maybe establish secondary headquarters, say, I don't know, in in Ireland where people also speak English, or in continental Europe, uh, and that's clearly going to put a freeze on a lot of investment as a minimum. And if things turn nasty, that could be even worse. We mentioned the comments of David Cameron earlier today. Let's play you some of them, let you hear what he said, and then we'll continue on. All right, we're having a little bit of a technical problem getting those going, so we'll get those to you in, sec in just a second. Uh, Shahrazad, what do you think about uh, the potential of companies moving out uh, of London? Is that a possibility in your mind? Absolutely. Look, uh, London, uh, UK, was the Hong Kong of the EU, partly because of the deal that they had negotiated in terms of labor laws and other issues that they had opted out of uh, with EU standards. Um, you know, they will have access. They, the Brits will have access to the EU market, but clearly it will be more expensive. And so, yes, absolutely, investments will be impacted. Uh, but I think if we could right. Uh, most of those investments will probably end up in Ireland. Who do you think then it will probably end up taking over for Mr. Cameron and 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 running the country, running the UK at this point? Yeah, that's, that's a hard one. I think the the, the bets are on Boris Johnson or Michael Gore, but probably Boris Johnson. Olivier? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I think Boris Johnson is clearly willing and eager to take that responsibility, so we can definitely see him take that role. We're uh, talking with Scheherazade Rehman of uh, George Washington University, Olivier Chatin, who is uh, a senior fellow here at the Wharton School at the Mac Institute and also associate professor at HEC Parish. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Obviously, Olivier, when you talk about Boris Johnson, obviously, you know, being the the last mayor of, of London, he obviously has a history of running a major city, which has has a lot of, of international import to it. Mm -hmm. That being said, though, I mean, he is linked, I guess, as much as anybody to this push to want to get out of the EU, correct? So it's very interesting, Dan, that you mentioned that he was mayor of London, because if you look at the 
as a two parts in in the UK that voted to remain. One is Scotland, as we mentioned, but also London. Central London really wanted to to, to stay in the UK. And this morning, Boris Johnson was was being booed by people who were uh, in front of his of his house in in London. So there's a bit of a paradox there. Uh, so it's very it's unclear to what extent the managerial. Um, abilities that he may have developed with London will, will really matter to become a prime minister. I think what really matters to him is more his his experience into the, let's say, the, the Tory party's machinations, which is a bit what the reason why that re- referendum happened in the first place. Sherazad, there was obviously also some uh, commentary today uh, about how this vote has all kind of played out and the fact that it was a push by the a majority of the people of the UK to want to make this change. And I think part of it, the link that a lot of the media is playing up on is what's going on here in the United States right now with the election uh, coming up for president. Is there a little bit of a correlation between the two? Because it, it seems like we see here in the United States that a lot of people are fed up with government. And it sounds like over there, people are fed up with government. You know, and that's true. That's true here, and that's true in, all over the European continent, that there is gridlock, uh, there is government failure, the problems have become so huge, governments have no solution. So there's clearly a correlation with the underlying uh, rationale of what is happening uh, in terms of people's reaction to their government. And this is all really exploded in the aftermath of financial crisis 2008, and where we, in neither the continent nor us, uh, have really fully recovered from that crisis. So I think you're definitely seeing this play out. What do you think ends up being the, the economic impact on the U.K. Go, going in the, in the short term here? And, and I say that uh, because uh, there were reports earlier today that because of this move, uh, the U.K. economy dropped a spot in terms of the largest ones uh, around the globe from, from, from fifth down to sixth. And not that a lot of people within the U.K. might think about it, but I wonder if at some point down the road, if the economic issues continue to kind of play themselves out, whether or not some people are going to have a little bit of buyer's remorse. Oh, I I think absolutely they'll have that. That's coming uh, down the road. Uh, The U.K. economy will take a hit for this. It will become more expensive for them to trade with the EU. And I just want to point one thing out that hasn't been mentioned on the show that, you know, this was used, this referendum was used as a lever to negotiate on the immigrant crisis that yeah. is happening in Europe right now. Yep. Uh, and it, that has really played a very serious role. Uh, uh, but, you know, the interesting part will be when the EU negotiates with the UK, you know, will immigration rear its head up again uh, with the UK, uh, meaning that, you know, we'll agree to the terms of trade uh, if you agree to whatever on immigration issues and you know and that would be somewhat ironic uh given that they had a referendum where uh the lever really was about immigration issues olivia that is obviously that is a massive uh point in this whole process especially with the with the crisis going on and so many bodies uh coming from you know various parts of the middle east and heading towards europe right now well i think it's 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 really important to connect uh, the dots between what's happening in North America and in Europe. You you have this general revolt of people who feel left over by all all the changes in in the economy uh, with 
jobs going away, uh, and society with immigrants coming in. And, and that revolved manifests itself with that vote, uh, with uh, the Republican primaries in the, in the U.S., and you have that in other countries in Europe, including France and, and Germany and, and Austria. So you have a very strong undercurrent. And then you just need a few sparks to, to make that extremely dangerous. And the, the Syrian crisis and the refugee crisis is clearly something that has been used uh, by some parts of the, of the Leave campaign in a very blatant way. Uh, and, but the paradox, again, is that now that if they get out of the EU, it might be harder for them to, to stop some immigration. You have people yeah. thinking about, well, the, the French may not stop people at Calais. They would just go directly to the UK instead of being stopped in other countries. So it's, uh, so buyer's remorse may happen sooner than we think. Well, and, and obviously one of the things that's, that's been brought up as well, and we're talking with uh, Olivier Chatin, who is a senior fellow at the Mac Institute here at Wharton School and also with uh, HEC Paris and uh, Shahrazad Rahman from George Washington University. One of the things that has been brought up is this unique mixture of 28 countries and how that you're trying to make one overall economic policy amongst all of these different countries with all of these different interests. And it's so very hard to get it done. And seemingly, this has been an issue for quite some time, Olivier. Yeah, I have to be very honest, uh, the way the, the crisis in Greece and in the sovereign economies, the financial crisis following the, the subprime crisis has been managed, uh, was not especially uh, bright. And this provided a lot of ammunition to people in the UK saying that, look, the EU is incompetent. And uh, it's clear that the, the way the euro crisis played out uh, just get the feeling that, well, this is not going anywhere. So these crises are connected. 844 Wharton is the number to give us a call. 844-942-7866. Your comments are welcome on the Brexit vote uh, and uh, how it may or may not affect the uh, U.S. economy going forward. I guess, Sherzad, I, I heard a couple of media members this morning talking about the fact that actually in the short term, what this does do is it makes it more affordable for people from the U.S. to go over to, to the U.K. right now. That's the, oh, that's I mean, the only the benefit right there. Right, the pound fell to, I think, I don't know what it is, right, the term second, but it was at 1.23 at one point. Uh, and, and, you know, that's enormously beneficial for uh, for tourists. But, but, that's, but that is minimal here, you know, it, it, that, that's temporary. What do you see being the long term long term path of this? Because as we we've all kind of agreed here, this is this is we're not talking weeks, we're not talking months, we're talking years before this this really kind of all plays out. Uh, you know, we are in uncharted territory here. Um, I, I think they are going to be second and third order effects uh, with this ripple. Uh, yes, it will take time to sort itself out, and in two years, the UK you know will muddle its way through negotiating with the EU, uh, whose bureaucracy is not always the, the, the most expedient in terms of finding their path forward and the relationship with the EU. I think the EU will do, and France and Germany in particular, will do whatever it can to, to keep the ties between the UK and continental Europe tight. Um, so I think that there will be give and take on both sides. Olivier? Yeah, I think the... So the end game will be something not so different from now. It's just that it's going to be a rocky road to that point. 
Great to have you both on the show. Greatly appreciate your time. Thank you very much for joining us. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.